today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. There was a transfer that took place on the cross that Jesus bore our sins. He was treated as if he were sinful so that by paying for our sins, we would be treated as if we were righteous. Right? That is the amazing, unbelievable, too good to be true news of the New Testament. We follow, church, Jesus because he is the only way to salvation. He is the Lamb of God, the perfect substitute that you and I need. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Being a follower of someone these days is usually associated with following someone on Instagram. And what does that even mean? Are you just checking up on pictures that someone's posting, but you don't really know them? In other times, being a follower of someone meant a very different thing. In today's passage, Pastor Ricky touches on how being a follower of Jesus entails living and breathing and following everything about what Jesus stood for. So who are you choosing to follow today? Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Matthew chapter 28 as he begins his message, Disciples. We're going to be talking about three aspects of our identity as a church and what it means to live out our mission on a practical basis. But one of the things that is important that goes along with this is understanding what our church believes about God and believes as a church. And if you are in the place of wanting to learn more about um, theology, theology is a fancy word that just means the study of God. Every single person is a theologian. Uh, the only question is whether you're a good or bad theologian because every single person thinks thoughts about God. If you answer the question, what is God like, you're a theologian. So we want to equip our members to be good theologians and to understand what the Bible teaches. If you are just starting out, maybe you've never read a book about theology in your life, but you're like, you know what, I do need to understand more intentionally what the Bible teaches. This is a great place to start. It's called uh, Christian Beliefs, 20 Basics Every Christian Should Know. All three of the books I'm going to recommend are by Dr. Wayne Grudem, who's a respected theologian. Uh, this is a great place to start. You can see it's thin. It's even just organized by questions like, what is the Bible? What is prayer? What does it mean to become a Christian? So grab that as a starting place. If you're ready to go a little bit deeper, I'd recommend this one, Bible Doctrine, same author. It's a little bit expanded version. It'll take you much deeper. This is the first theology book I ever read, so I'm partial to it. I love it. Uh, a great place to go deeper. Has discussion questions. You can go through it with somebody or with a family. And then if you're like, no, 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 give me the, give me the big stuff, man. I want something that I can use for home defense as well as a theology textbook. Uh, you can knock somebody out with this. This is Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem. And it is it's a huge book, but it's also a great reference to either go through little by little or keep as a reference. And when you have a question or one of your kids ask, dad, what are angels? Like you could grab this book and go through something with them. Now, if you are hearing that and thinking, okay, great, I, I don't even... I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't know. I'm still trying to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Those books are all intimidating and scary to me. But you're interested in learning more about the gospel, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to encourage you, grab one of these little cards at the information table. It says, Always Better News. 
There's a website URL at the bottom there. Uh, we've created as a church a free ebook that you can download to your Kindle or you can just read from your phone like on your lunch break at work and it walks you through what the gospel is. In it, I kind of tell my story of how I grew up in the church, realized I wasn't a Christian and became a Christian. And so uh, you can grab that. If this sermon doesn't really connect with you, just read that book um, and it'll help you in some way. I hope you really listen. But if, it, if it's just going poorly, then just grab this uh, and read that during the message, okay? All right, well, let's open God's word to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We laid out kind of a prayerful vision for our church. We talked about how our longing, our vision, our longing is to see gospel renewal. Now, we sort of climbed up the mountain and surveyed kind of our vision from uh, 5,000 feet or something. And we looked down and saw, okay, this is what we long to see. But now we're going to climb down the mountain and look at this mission from ground level. What are we supposed to do day to day, week to week as individuals, as Christians, as families, as the church? And today we're going to receive a commission from the Lord and begin to talk about what that looks like in our lives. So what is our mission as Christians and as a church? I don't think Jesus could make it any clearer. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, this is God's word. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Now today, we are talking about the first identity, our identity as disciples. I heard a pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt say one time, you do who you are. Not you are what you do, but rather you do who you are, meaning what you do in your life flows out of who you are in your identity. Your identity shapes your life. When I was a kid, I was probably 10 or 11, when I loved playing basketball, I was still kind of tall. I was, well, at least I wasn't tall. I was like in, I wasn't short yet. Okay, let's just say it that way. I wasn't short yet at age 10. And my dad got me this video of a not too tall guy named Pistol Pete Maravich, who's one of the greatest college basketball players of all time, went and played the NBA for a little bit. And this guy, his story is that he wasn't naturally super gifted. He just outworked everybody. He would spend hours and hours just shooting free throws and dribbling, and he had the best ball handling, best shooting skills probably of anyone else. Despite the fact he was pretty short, he outplayed everyone. And so I remember watching this video where he kind of shows you some tricks and stuff, and I, I thought, that's me. I am Pistol Pete Maravich. And so I would go out to the basketball court and with the ball, just try to dribble it like he did and think, I am Pistol Pete, I am Pistol Pete, you know. And, and I would practice way longer than I normally would have with that identity because I thought this is my identity, I'm gonna do this. Now, something happened along the way that I realized after a number of weeks that I wasn't getting that much better. And looking back as an adult, I now see that I have terrible peripheral vision and very weak lungs, which make me unsuited for uh, basketball. So I, <laughs> I realized in the end, I wasn't Pistol Pete, um, alas. But what I believed about myself and my identity shaped what I did. 
And in, in what we're going to talk about, we're going to learn our identity as Christians. And this is not an identity we put on that's fake that we try to live out of and discover we can't do it. These are things that we can do. This is rather who we actually are in Christ. Here is our mission statement that we're going to begin to explore that tells us about our identity. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus who follow him in every area of life, live as a family, and witness to the world. That's our mission, to make disciples of Jesus who follow him in every area, live as family, and witness to the world. So those three identities that we break that down into are we are disciples, we are family, and we are witnesses. And we're gonna begin to live out of those identities. So today we're focusing on being disciples of Jesus. Now, that word disciple is an interesting word because it's not a word that we use a lot in normal, everyday American life. Being a disciple meant something very specific in the ancient world. The closest kind of English translation is a follower, but in our culture today, being a follower of something doesn't really have a lot attached to it, right? I can be a follower. I mean, just on my computer, I can sign up and get Google alerts and follow a particular musical artist, right? Or I can be a follower of a sports team. And I don't know if this has happened to you, but once you become a follower of a sports team on Google, they just bring you the scores regardless of whether you want to see them or not. But that's what being a follower is to us in America. That is not what it meant to be a follower or a disciple in the ancient world. Matthew 28 is Jesus commissioning his disciples to make disciples, his followers to make followers. But Matthew 4 through 27 lays out what it means to be a disciple. So his disciples had to be disciples before they could make disciples. And when he calls his disciples in Matthew 4, you get an idea of what it meant to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. In Matthew 4, Jesus comes to the first two disciples and they are casting nets. They're actively fishing. They're blue-collar, hard-working fishermen out there trying to you know, make money and bring food home to their families. And Jesus says... Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And the text says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So this isn't like, okay, cool, Jesus, we'll see you at church at 10.30 or 11 on Sunday. Great, we're following you now. No, no, no. It wasn't even, okay, hey, sign me up for the newsletter, Jesus. I, you know, I want to stay in touch with what you're doing. No, it was literally, we're fishing, we're not fishing, I don't know what happens to the boat. We're leaving it and following you. Being a disciple in the ancient world meant when you were being a disciple of a rabbi, it meant that you would literally travel with that rabbi or teacher. You would sleep where they slept. You would eat the food they ate. You would hear their teaching so often. You didn't just get the kind of the main points. You could recite every line of their teaching. That's what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, to, to learn to imitate him in everything. This is what it meant. This is what it means for us to be disciples. It's an all-in, 24-7, go-for-broke kind of following. So we're going to ask three questions today about that kind of following. First, who are we following? Second, how do we become followers? And third, what does it look like to follow? Now, this is very much an overview, but I hope it's helpful for us because I want to make sure we don't assume anything about our church. We want to make sure that everybody is on the same page about what this means. So first, who are we following? 
Now, it's easy for us to say, yeah, we follow Jesus, but in our culture today, there's so many different versions of who Jesus is, right? There's the, the, the do-gooder Jesus that's kind of, he was kind of like Bono, but he wore a bathrobe and he went out and he did good deeds to people and all like, oh, isn't that nice? That's nice. Or there's the kind of the teacher Jesus, like he had some wisdom, kind of like Gandhi, kind of like the Buddha, he, you know, he had wisdom. Or other people see Jesus as, you no, know, he was a social justice warrior. Or other people see Jesus, oh, he's a tragic figure, he's a martyr, he died because people didn't understand him. But none of those really get at the Bible's picture of who Jesus actually is. So let's walk through this together. We follow Jesus, the God-man. Jesus is unlike anyone who ever lived or anyone who ever will live. He was both fully man and fully God. He really was fully man. The gospels record he got tired, he got hungry, he got hurt. He grew up in a small blue collar town to a small blue collar family. That is who Jesus was. But he was utterly unique in that he was born of a virgin. He was revealed to be more than just a man, but the son of God himself, the second member of the Trinity. Colossians makes this crazy statement about Jesus, for in him all things were created. He's referred to as the word, and in Genesis 1, where God spoke the word into existence, Jesus was that word. He's before all things, Colossians says, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is upholding the universe. Jesus claimed to be God. There are some people today who say, well, Jesus never really claimed that. That's something his disciples built up after he left. No, no, no. He claimed it. That's why they keep trying to kill him. If you look in the Gospels, whenever people get real mad at him and try to kill him, that's why. That's why. Jesus was God himself come to earth. And in the context of scripture, this is good news for us as humanity. The scriptural story begins with us in relationship with God, the the relationship that we were made for, to enjoy and participate in. And yet humanity chooses to turn away from God, to rebel against God, to pursue, you know, I'm gonna be my own God. I'm I'm not gonna listen to you. I'm gonna be the king. I'm gonna be in charge. Humanity gives itself over to sin, And as a result, our relationship with God is broken and we come under God's judgment. That is why Jesus is such an unexpected figure. Why would God himself come to sinful humanity who are broken, who are in rebellion against him? That's, That's the beginning of the good news of the gospel. But we have to remember, church, we follow not just a man, but the son of God. Second thing, we follow Jesus, the perfect man. Now, The good news about Jesus is that he never sinned. He only did what was right and just and perfect and true. And this is good news for us as humanity because we as humanity, well, we don't do that. The Bible is clear that we have turned away from God and turned towards sin. And the Bible lays out this law in the Old Testament. The law in the Old Testament was both to help us see what God is like and to help us compare ourselves to that perfect standard of what God is like so that we could see, yeah, this, is, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't working. We are not lining up. That's justice. We have injustice if we're gonna compare those two things. That is why Jesus is such good news. He finally is a man who does not fall short, who perfectly aligns with the character of God. The apostle Peter, who, remember, traveled and lived with Jesus for three years, writes this about him. He committed no sin, 
and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, I don't know anybody that has ever lived with anyone for three years nonstop and can come out saying that. If you ever think that, you know, I was a pretty good kid growing up, just ask your siblings. My siblings remind me regularly uh, that I was the worst. Or if you think, you know, I'm doing pretty well now though, not perfect, not perfect, but pretty close, just ask your spouse. Or maybe your spouse is looking at you right now. So don't look at them, look ahead. Right, we are not perfect. We fall short, but Jesus is perfect. Jesus never fell short. And we follow not an ordinary man, but the perfect man, the man who humanity was created to be, in a sense. Third, we follow Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, you'd think Jesus, this perfect man who's the Son of God, that he, above all people, would be embraced and loved, and we would make him the king. I mean, you, we often think, man, if we could just find a good man, we would put him in charge of everything. No, 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 that's not what happened with Jesus. He was betrayed. He was subjected to an unjust trial. He was beaten. He was humiliated. But this was no accident. It wasn't as though Jesus was not powerful enough to stop this. No, John 10, Jesus says that no one takes his life from him, but he chooses to lay it down. Now, why would he choose to lay his life down? Because he is, as scripture lays out, the lamb of God. Now, that picture literally of the Lamb of God is highlighted by the fact that Jesus dies Passover weekend when they would celebrate a perfect lamb being substituted in the place of God's people and the lamb's blood being shed so that the justice of God could pass over them the way it did in Egypt. That's the picture in the Old Testament that sin equals death and the only way that sin does not equal death is if there is a perfect substitute that takes that death that the sinner deserved. Now, in the Old Testament, there are lots of animal sacrifices, but it's clear in Scripture that these animal sacrifices don't take away human sin. Instead, they're a picture. They're reinforcing this idea that the only way that sin does not equal death is if there is a substitute that takes their place. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is that perfect substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning that there was a transfer that took place on the cross, that Jesus bore our sins. He was treated as if he were sinful, so that by paying for our sins, we would be treated as if we were righteous. Right? That is the amazing, unbelievable, too good to be true news of the New Testament. We follow, church, Jesus because he is the only way to salvation. He is the lamb of God, the perfect substitute that you and I need. And last, and certainly not least, we follow Jesus, the resurrected king. Church, we do not follow a dead martyr that we all admire from 2,000 years ago. We believe that we follow the risen, resurrected, still alive son of God. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day as he predicted, by the way. He said he was going to do it, and then he did it. And it showed, that resurrection showed that he conquered sin and death, that his sacrifice as the Lamb of God was accepted. It confirmed more than anything else ever could that he is the Son of God. We do not follow a dead man. We follow our living king. That is who we follow. The reason we go through that is because I want to be real clear. Many people follow or think they're following a version of Jesus. 
that fits into their lives. It's just the way they want. But this is who Jesus is laid out to be in Scripture. And only this Jesus is worth building your entire life around. Only this Jesus changes everything. In fact, Scripture says the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are of first importance out of all the Bible teaches, right? Out of this entire book, Paul the Apostle says, you know what's of first importance? The thing that all of this is about is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the center of who we are. This is who we follow. Second question, how then do you become a follower? As a Christian, you should be saying amen. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're saying, sign me up. How do I get in on that? That seems like pretty good news. Well, I want to take a moment and talk about how we should not respond because there is a common way of responding to Jesus that is very common in our culture and in our city and in our world that actually does not lead to salvation. It is possible, guys, to believe that God is real and not be a Christian. It's possible to believe you're a sinner and not be a Christian. It's possible to believe that Jesus was a real person and not be a Christian. It's possible to to say on some level, I need Jesus in my life and not be a Christian. Because what often happens in that moment is we as humanity turn to what Colossians called self-made religion, right? It looks like religious practice, but it's not something laid out in the Bible. It's something that we come up with ourselves. And here's what we do. We say, okay, I know I'm not, as good as I should be. I'm not perfect. I know I should be better. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be good enough to get back on God's good side and be okay. I'm going to start going to church again. I'm going to stop swearing as much. You know, if you're from one of those fundamentalist backgrounds, you're going to stop dancing. You know, I'm not going to stop doing whatever the religious tradition you're from says, you know, don't do that. Dancers don't get into the heaven. Uh, you, you stop doing those things and you say, I'm going to be good now. I'm going to do good deeds. Maybe, listen, I talked to so many people and the common refrain I found as I talked to people is I'll ask them, do you think you're a Christian? And a lot of people here will say, yes, I definitely do. I say, well, what does that mean to you? And they will say some version of this. They'll say, it means I'm trying to live a good life the way Jesus would want me to. But the problem is, if you're trying to find salvation through good deeds, that's what scripture calls works of the law. Like, I'm doing things that the law says. The problem is, nobody will get right with God that way. Galatians 2 says this, a person is not justified or made right with God by works of the law, i.e. good deeds, because by works of the law, no one can be made right with God. Right? That divide is not just, well, if I just had a little bit of a boost, I could get there. That divide is the Grand Canyon. Right? And if you and I both decide to run and try to jump the Grand Canyon, some of us are going to make it further than others. Ain't nobody making it to the other side. Okay? That is what the Bible says. All of us are sinful. We cannot, by trying to be good now, make up for what we've done in the past. We can't even stay you know, above zero if we start today. That is not what it means to follow Jesus. So what does it mean then to become a follower of Jesus? Well, the Bible says when you get there, when you see, listen, I have no hope in myself. I got no shot. I don't know what to do. That is where you're ready for the gospel. That is where you begin to follow Jesus through repentance and faith. Those two things. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your heart. Thanks 
Thanks for joining us today for Better News Radio. Pastor Ricky has been sharing some thoughts on the important components that should be a part of any church's vision. These things are like the meat and potatoes of what a church stands on, and incorporating these elements help a church grow and thrive. Like with anything that's growing, you need the proper nutrients to foster the ability to become stronger. Some of these nutrients are the willingness to know and share the gospel with others. This might seem intimidating to some, but be assured that no matter what your knowledge or experience is, as a Christian, you are equipped to tell others about Jesus. If you're listening and are unsure what it means to be a Christian, that's okay. We're glad that you joined us today, and we hope that you'll continue to seek out a greater understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. On our website, betternewsradio.com, you'll find a variety of past teachings from Pastor Ricky. In addition to that, you can look at the welcome video from Pastor Ricky that explains more about the good news of Jesus Christ. All that and more is on our website. Again, that's betternewsradio.com. As we wrap up our time today, we want you to know that if you have any questions about this teaching or what it means to be a Christian, you can give us a call at 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. We hope that you'll tune in again to hear more from the Vision Series right here on Better News Radio.